Welcome to the Real and Road podcast. I'm your host, Kenny Walker. And for this episode, we've brought the pod to the real live event at the Quinton Real Technology Centre in Warwickshire. There are over 170 exhibitors and live demonstrations across two days covering every element of the railway, from rolling stock to plant and signalling equipment, freight to tactical displays by British Transport Police. We've spoken to a number of real industry professionals across the two days, and first up is Nigel Harris, who told us a little bit more about the event. Well, the biggest challenge this year was the will we, won't we be able to run it, which only really resolved itself about three months ago. And that had to be our call and our risk, um, according to what procedures were in place to manage events of this kind. Um, and so we worked very closely with the, you know, the relevant government departments on what we could and couldn't do in terms of restrictions, and with the local authorities. Who, are, who manage the events at ground level on, on what you actually do. Um, and there were endless meetings with them about this, you know, hand sanitizer, um, how this, the stands will be set up. Um, because it's such a big site, that was very much in our favor, but it still wasn't easy. But we managed to, you know, find our way through it and decided that we were gonna go ahead. Um, and <laughs> we had a slightly nervous moment yesterday when we got a message here that um, there was a visitor to see Chris Lester, the events director, um, he was the environmental officer for the local authority, environmental health. And um, he saw Chris and said, look, I've been here for a couple of hours pottering about, looking at all the, um, what you show. He said, and I just have to say, I'm very impressed. He said, it's not easy to keep those sort of procedures in place. He said, and you've done really well. He said, I've got a couple of points. I can offer a bit of advice on fine tuning, mate. But obviously we were sticking with the first bit of that statement and all mopped our brows in relief, relief, which is a real tribute to the people you can hear in the background here who are our team who organise the event. They have absolutely played a blinder because it's always difficult to organise this event. But this year, at hyper speed in three months, it's been extremely difficult. Speaking of speed, Nigel, the transport to the to the event itself that was that was uh, brought about very quickly wasn't it well we, we were not happy with the idea of bringing people to a rail event by coach uh, by bus uh, great western a few months ago mark hopwood suggested it was his idea because we'd run a special training from paddington previous years a couple of times a day okay. and he said look why don't i run four shuttles in a day from worcester and if you imagine Worcester is at the centre of a, 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 a literally a big capital X connecting all four corners of the country. So, for example, you could have got on a train early in the morning in Newcastle or York, change once at Worcester and come straight into this show. And that applied from London, from the southwest and from the northwest. So we, we absolutely will do that. We had it all set up and then we had the Hitachi fleet cracks issues, which just torpedoed their plans and put their pre- fleet, fleet under such pressure. Um, that they they couldn't do that. So um, thank you. Um, that they couldn't do it. Um, so we, we looked at using the Stadler Metro Electric Liverpool tram to do that, and that was very ambitious because it needed charging, and, and it's not yet approved for full passenger use. So we talked to you know HMRI and everybody else, and that founded because the unions have had a concern about it wasn't fully approved and carrying passengers. All understandable stuff. Uh, and every now and then you come across a project where you suddenly realise it's not meant to be. So we actually stood it down and we said we're going to have to go with the buses. Um, and then a week ago last Saturday, so less than a fortnight ago in other words, um, Adrian Shooter rang me at home on um, 
Saturday night and said, look, I've just become aware of your predicament. He said, I have one train left on site, which we're due to deliver to Transport for Wales fairly soon. Okay. If Network Rail would play ball and could get a little temporary platform done, as they'd once done before at Honeybourne, we could use that, I think, Transport for Wales will, will give their permission. Um, now, that could take months in a previous railway life. So there's Viva Rail, there's QRTC here, there was Network Rail, there's ROG, there's SLC, all, all these different things. We had it sorted in 72 hours. Um, everybody agreed to it. Transport for Wales saw the benefits of their train um, coming to the rescue at the last minute, and they've done very well out of the PR. It's so a well done them. The example of partnership work. Well, it was collaborative, it was partnership working, and it was people looking at it and saying, not why, but well, why not? We can. And there were people were being, you know, any number of cliches, half full and not half empty. And that train ran every half hour back and forth yesterday it's doing the same today the first train yesterday morning i think 8 20 from honeybourne brought 30 people in um, and it's been carrying people in the, interestingly people at the show are also seizing the opportunity to have a trip out and back to honeybourne just to sample the train so it has become a feature in its own right so everybody benefits and we've found that spirit everywhere nobody's breaking the rules but people are going out the way to find a way to do stuff rather than not do stuff and we've all seen far too much of that over the last 10, 15 years. Great attitude to take. And if I was to ask you for one particular highlight from the event over the two days. That we got the event to, to, to open yesterday morning on time and we had the biggest crowd ever yesterday. Um, I mean, there's so many. There's the, you know, the Stadler train, there's, there's a shuttle. Uh, it took us three years to get Network Rail's NMT in because that runs around, that covers the network in its entirety every fortnight. And so it's a busy train. And so it took sort of three years to plan its schedule so that it could, if you like, nip in here for a couple of days without disrupting that schedule. Um, and of course, people in the industry who are the contractors and the heart of this show will always be the yellow equipment, the big plant. That's how this show started. Um, to be able to take a look inside there because it runs at night, nobody sees it and we don't know what's inside. So to, the opportunity to see that high tech equipment, which is amazing. Um, there's some world beating equipment on that train and, and nobody knows about it. And given the railway gets far too much of a kicking in the media from a, a media and a public which tends to think it's still all picks and shovels and it isn't, you know. If you go and look at that, um, the network rail helicopters, there's the first application in this country of the military grade cameras that are on the Apache helicopters. Uh, and so the definition with which the network rail air ops people can investigate a fault on the railway, which means they can do it quicker, cheaper and safely. They're not putting men out on the railway. Um, they can send that camera. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's equipment on the, on the trains that if you were to put a crisp bag and secure it to a sleeper, the train can pass over it at 100 miles an hour and could take a picture, you could read the ingredients on the bag. Um, this, there's some world-beating stuff going on and we ought to be prouder of it than we are and we ought to tell more people about it than we do and that's one of the reasons we do this show so you know people get yeah, the get a chance. Getting across, Nigel, and there's definitely been a, a, a really good buzz about the place. There has and, and that's, that buzz is crucial because what, the, what our, everybody understands is what we're trying to create here is a rail industry equivalent to the Farmer Air Show where there's real business done, very, you know, and the strategic political stuff. You know, we've got um, Ian Prosser and we've got John Larkinson from ORR in the, in the conference this afternoon. Yesterday we had Andrew Haynes and Peter Hendy from Network Rail in there. Socially distanced, full halls, all sides of the tent off and people stood around as well. But you can then go and look at their helicopter. You can look in in the NMT. Um, it's, it is, buzz is the right word and we intend to keep building that. And we're very grateful for all the people, including ORR, 
who commit to coming here because we need all the key in industry players to be pleased and proud to come and, and, and sort of show the world what they do. No, thanks very much, Nigel. It's been uh, good to be part of this. I appreciate your time. Not at all. It, it's a pleasure to uh, fly. The, it's a great privilege working in and alongside you know, what's probably the finest industry in the world. We invented trains and railways and we ought to be prouder of them than we are. And this is our way of doing our bit. We heard earlier from Nigel Harris, managing editor of Real Magazine, about the network rail measurement train and how it's taken three years for it to get onto site at the, the Real Live event. So we've got Mike Black here from Network Rail to tell us a little bit more. It's got a number of um, things it does. It essentially takes the track workers away from having to do inspections manually and on the track um, and takes video footage and takes a number of measurements to to determine the status of the track. So it's got things like um, plane line pattern recognition, which recognises whether there are rail clips missing. It measures the overhead line for wear. Um, and it also measures things like um, the, the sort of alignment of the track as well. How long has this been in operation for? Well, since 2003, um, it was introduced after a, a number of um, rail accidents um, and was, was designed to make sure that we're doing regular and, and detailed checks of the track. Okay, so we're here at the site where GB Rail Freight and ORR have honoured the last Royal Engineer Officer to be appointed Her Majesty's Railway Inspector, Major John Points, by naming a freight locomotive after him. And we're absolutely delighted the support from GBRF and indeed from the ORR. Now, what is key about John was that, of course, he was the last Royal Engineer uh, member of Her Majesty's uh, Railway Inspectorate. Uh, a tradition going back to 1840 and of course by the time he finished uh, in uh, 89 in the army uh, and then went into the inspectorate of course he then effectively became the last of a, a long and in, an, an inspirational line of sappers. GB Real Freight's 66764 will now take the name of the former inspector who died in November 2020, aged 82. Right, we're now going to move on to the unveiling itself. John Smith, Managing Director of GB Real Freight, to tell us a little bit more about it. It's brilliant. You'll see together behind me we've got another locomotive named Chinook as well. So we've got a long relationship with the armed forces. Uh, we had great fun when we did the naming with Chinook because we took the loco in on a low loader to Odium where they're based out of. So it was really, it was Nigel Harris of Rail Magazine that asked me if, uh, if we'd set this thing up and we were only too pleased to do, to do so. And it, it kind of links in, it, there is commercial side to it as well because we haul the MOD traffic around the UK and we're very keen to grow that, get it off the road and get it onto rail. We also spoke to Steve Davis and Ian Prosser shared some of their memories and thoughts on major jump points. 
Well, I, I knew John uh, well from army days, and um, um, in particular, we would get together and talk railways. Uh, in fact, we sought each other out, and, and I, I bumped into each other in Berlin on one occasion, which was quite. And when we realised who each other was, it was straight to the local bar, and it was great fun. But he was. I, I don't I don't use the word flippantly, but he was a legend in, in railway terms. Not least because of the symbolism of him being the final sapper engineer, royal engineer within HMRI. But um, he was a great guy, in, in his, and I thought Ian's words, you know, were really crucial. He he was an encyclopedia of railways, and it was just extraordinary. And and. All right, we're, you know we've we've got some fantastic people working in the railway industry, uh, but I think it was right that John's been singled out for this signal honour. And for me, that's why when I was asked to pull together a military component for this, I didn't need asking twice. Oh, absolutely. Uh, having met John a few times and sat down with him, particularly uh, as I mentioned in my little talk about going through our page by page the book that we produced for across the history of HMRI, which is over 180 years now, uh, he knew a great deal and uh, he was able to correct even people like Brian, uh, Nigel Harris and um, David Key, who have got a lot of knowledge as well. Um, and of course my part of that was the, was the modern piece of the book. So his charm and wit was, uh, was something that uh, you rarely find and uh, how he could sort of tell you off in a very nice and polite way. At the show, a number of people heard from Nick Mellington, Network Rail's Director of Workforce Safety Task Force, which has been formed to target track worker safety. Back in 2019, the Office of Rail and Road issued Network Rail with two improvement notices in this area. Improving track worker safety and removing unassisted lookout warning is a key priority for the regulator. We caught up with Nick and here's what he had to say on the task force. The, the safety task force programme, over 200 people employed on it, but indirectly everyone in Network Rail is employed on it. We are systematically removing risk and um, we will see the end of lookout working because that is the highest risk. We will see the end of LAUs working because that is also very high risk along with lookouts. We are protecting line blockages, we are getting sufficient T3 possessions and we are restructuring our maintenance plan so it's more um, effective and aligned with safer access. We can do this, we don't, there, there are lots of fear narratives um, against what we're doing and with the, the benefit of data, support and not backing off a problem we can support teams through this change and that's what we've done so far. So lookout working is now 90% down. Near misses are 60% down and we've got a line of sight to finish the job. It's gonna take us about another 18 months. I've got a healthy relationship with the ORR. Um, you know, I understand the role that you um, undertake. I respect the role as well. Um, and also, um, I understand how complicated it is to maintain and operate a railway safely. We all know what we want to do and you could let the legal side of things get in the way if you choose to, um, but I've chosen not to. And it's important that we all understand where the risk is and we all understand about risk transfer and we work, walk together to a much safer place. And I think um, you know, certainly in the dialogue that I've had with the, the regional inspectors and the national inspectors and also Ian, 
you know, I couldn't ask for any more help really. Um, there, there's, there's, some, there's some natural scepticism because this has been tried before and it didn't work, yeah? Um, and I'm trying to ensure that I'm taking those reservations seriously, providing tangible evidence as we get through the plan that we are doing this properly. I'm personally committed to it. I think people can have heard me on stage have heard me the passion I've got on it. I've, um, I've, I've, I know with that Tyler, I know that Gareth and Spike, uh, and John Wright, and I could go with other names. Those deaths were unnecessary, and I'm personally committed to an ending open line working in that fashion. Um, and I, I understand where the regulator's mind is in terms of the hierarchy of risk controls. I align with them, and we've got to do it. If you'd have told me two years ago that I'd be patrolling SNC with a drone, I wouldn't have believed it, but we are now. If you'd have told me that I was trialling geofencing kit um, to, to offset the 20% of the fatalities, I possibly wouldn't have believed it. I wouldn't have believed it was as accurate as it is. But there are many other things that, 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 that are out there in terms of innovation that can reduce the time that we expose people to risk or indeed eliminate it. And this, this Rail Live here today is a fantastic example of where that, that innovation and entrepreneurialism exists. Metrification is a hot topic on the railways and we're joined here at the ORR exhibitor tent by Gary Keenor, Group Engineered Atkins. Atkins was one of a number of companies which worked in partnership with Network Rail and ORR on the recent electrification project on the Midland Main Line. The project, which was authorised by the regulator with no conditions attached, was delivered on time and on budget. Gary, could you tell us a little bit more about your involvement? Um, so, up until quite recently, the Midland Main Line was electrified as far as Bedford. That was done in the early 1980s, but there's not been. It's, the Midland Main Line is the last trunk route in the UK that's not fully electrified. Um, so, what we would call key output one of Midland Mainline electrification is Bedford to Kettering and then on to Corby. Uh, so we, at Atkins, were the designer for that. Uh, we were working with uh, Scottish Powerlines, SPL, who were, who were here on site. I just bumped into Simon Skinner's side. So they were doing the construction and we did the design. So we were working for them as part of a design and build uh, consortium. And that, that worked really well, actually, um, because electrifying a live railway is really hard. It's a hard thing to do uh, because you have to do it without disrupting uh, the existing the existing train service and you have to work within those, those small access periods that you get. So as designers we can't just sort of design it in, an, in isolation. We have to talk to the stores and find out how they want to build it and our design will be heavily influenced by how they are actually going to go about and construct it. So we did the, we did the full detailed design all the way to what we call approved for construction drawings, which is the drawings that go out to site and get built. Uh, but that wasn't the end of our role. We also got involved in the uh, the, the entry and service phase. Once you finish construction, there's then a it's not a question of right finish building it now. Let's start running electric trains. There's a whole series of uh, tests, uh, measurements, and safety justifications that have to be put together to demonstrate to the RRR, as it happens, that, um, that this railway is now safe to Safe to first of all, safe to energise, uh, and then safe to run electric trains in service. I saw some of the some of the, the, the emails at the time, and you know, just the whole team's really, really proud from Network Rail, SPL, Atkins, and everyone else that's been involved. It's not a, you know, it's no one company delivers that. It's a joint effort, and um, no, it's really good to see you know, see the first electric trains running on May the 16th on time, on budget, electrification. It's nice to be able to say that. Um, obviously. 
a lot of things went wrong on earlier electrification schemes, but we took a lot of the learning from that and piled it into Key 8.1, uh, and it's really paid off, I think. Straight from the stage at Real Live, I've got ORR's Chief Executive John Larkinson to give us the final word for today's podcast. John, we've just heard you discuss the future of rail regulation. Can you tell the listeners a little bit more? So one of the key things I've been talking about is the setting up of this new body, Great British Railways, which is going to integrate most of the track and train uh, in, in Britain. And, and from that, I, I was asking the question, what, what's the role of ORR? in the future when this new GBR is in place. And what's going to happen is that our role is going to widen. So we will have oversight of the whole of GBR's uh, work, whether that's infrastructure, whether it's operations. So we, we need to prepare for that world when our, when our role is going to change and our role is going to broaden over time. Thanks, John. And that brings us to a close from Real Live. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening. And until next time, goodbye.